Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. opened up uh, a subject that um, that I, I believe in the time and season that we are in is a vital subject. Let me say, tell you why I say that. So many prophetic words have been going out concerning revival, concerning what it is that God wants to do within the body of Christ and within the world during and post this coronavirus season, if you like. Um, we've spoken here about raising the standard of Christ, uh, of raising our own awareness of, of his love, of his presence and those kinds of things, so that as and when the time comes and God's spirit begins moving and breathing in a new way, in a different way, we are ready, that we are not like the foolish virgins who had to go and quickly try and get oil for their lamps, but we were like we are like the wise virgins who are ready. We are not like old wineskins that are still stuck in an old way of thinking, an old way of church or ministry, but we are supple and pliable like new wineskins to be able to hold and be carriers of that which God is wanting to pour out into his church to bless the world with through his church. For this reason, it is vitally important that our prayer lives, our intimacy with God is strong that we are hearing his voice, that we are able to flow with him and allow him to make whatever changes he wants to make within our hearts and within our thinking. So what I want to speak to you today about is the secret place of transformation, the secret place of transformation. We are going to start today with the same portion of scripture that our pastor Andreas started with last week, and that is from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. I'm reading from the New King James, Matthew 6, verse 6. And Jesus is talking about praying. He says, when you pray, don't make it about other people. Don't be like the Pharisees who pray these big prayers so that everyone will think, ooh, they're so spiritual. He says, when you pray, go into your room, Matthew 6, 6. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly let's just go through this again when you pray go into your room and shut the door what is the principle behind this when you when jesus says go into your room and shut the door he is talking of a physical place of isolation but shutting the door also means separation from everything else that is going on outside separate yourself from the hustle and the bustle of everyday life separate yourself from facebook and email Oh, boy, that follows you into your prayer closet easily, doesn't it? Separate yourself from the news out there and, and, and all the fear that's going on. Just come and be alone, you and me alone. It says, pray to your father who is in the secret place. The secret place doesn't mean that nobody knows where you are. You're not hiding away. But this secret place is the secret place of your heart, that place of deep honesty, vulnerability, and sincerity 
with God. It's a secret place that nobody else is allowed into. Because if you're trying to do that in front of other people, you're worried about what they may be thinking. When you're alone, you can be absolutely vulnerable with God. And that's what he wants. And then he gives us this beautiful promise that you, your father who sees in secret, who sees what's going on in your heart in that secret place will reward you openly. You see, the primary purpose of prayer, the primary purpose of prayer is intimacy with God. It's not about getting what I want. It's not about the ritual. It's about deep and personal relationship with God. We get the privilege to converse with him. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the real essence of prayer. We get to hear what is on his mind. You see, when I come and I pray and I spend time with God, yes, I share my heart with him. But as I do so, it's like he sifts through or he rakes over my heart and he begins to shine his light and speak into my life and my situations and to bring sense and to bring light into them. He loves to share his mind with us. And the thing is this, that as we spend time in his presence and allow him to speak into our hearts, as we hear about his love for us, we become transformed. He really loves me. As we hear about his mercy and his forgiveness, we become liberated from condemnation, from sin, and from guilt. As we hear about his promises, we believe and we begin to enter into them. It's this beautiful relationship where God speaks to us, not where we just speak to him. Then as we hear about the things that are on his heart, we become captured by them. That's the real, the real place where things are birthed in us, where the heart and the life of God is birthed in us, in the prayer closet, in that place of privacy and prayer. God wants to share his heart with us openly. Openly. And the first thing, this is the first thing that prayer is all about. It's private, heart-to-heart -heart conversation between you and God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not a ritual. Prayer is not... I want to make prayer as simple for each and every one of us because prayer should be a wonderful haven of safety for us, like a harbor where out there the winds and the gusts are blowing and life is happening out there. And boy, oh boy, is there a lot going on. Lots of wind, lots of waves, lots of turmoil. Some, sometimes it's up and sometimes you're in the doldrums. But when you're in that safe harbor of prayer, that's the place where you're restored. That's the place where things get repair, repaired. That's the place where you get stocked up again for your next journey out there on the open seas. And that's the personal place where God changes us. Andrew Murray, one of my favorite authors, says this. God is an unseen God and hides himself to the carnal eye. I love that. In other words, our natural eye, our natural thinking, we cannot grasp God with those. God is spirit, and we need to, the Bible says, worship him in spirit and in truth. So he says, God hides himself to the carnal eye. As long as in our worship of God, we are chiefly occupied with our own thoughts and exercises, we will not meet him who is spirit, the unseen one. But those who withdraw themselves from all that is of the world and people and wait for God alone, the Father will reveal himself. As we shut out the world and its life, Surrendering ourselves to be led by Christ into God's presence, the light of Father's love will fall upon us. What a beautiful scripture. I remember that I had been a believer for many, many years before the light of God's love truly shined on me. The light of God's love 
is what transformed my life from being uh, somebody who called himself a Christian but behaved as though he wasn't. Somebody who led very much a double life. When I got a revelation of God's love, that changed me. That changed my heart completely. And that's the revelation that God wants to pour out into every single one of his children. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 that by the Spirit of God, there's something in us that when it's revealed to us by the Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father, knowing that we are his children and knowing that we are loved. God wants to share his mind with you concerning who you are, concerning your destiny, concerning your family, concerning your worries and your cares, concerning every part of your life. And when we catch the heart of God, we catch a glimpse of heaven and a measure of his grace is imparted to us to bring that life into our situation. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read just three verses from this, from 10 to 13. That's four verses from the Message Bible again. It says, the spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. Here's the analogy I want to bring with that. So often in our prayers, we can flit around on the surface. We can come to God, God, thank you for this, and please bless so-and-so, and flitting around on the surface. In other words, we're, playing according to our, we're praying according to our own understanding, what we think God should do. Um, and though well-intended, there's a whole other realm in the spirit that God wants to lead us into in our prayer life, where he is revealing to us his heart and where our prayers now mirror him, his life, and what he wants. The verse carries on. Who ever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself? The same with God, except that he not only knows what he's thinking, but he lets us in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that he is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. I love this. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus, and we're passing it on to, to you in the same firsthand personal way. Paul is saying, we received these wonderful truths and this revelation straight from God, from his spirit, person to person. There is nothing more powerful in your life than a person to person revelation of God and a revelation from God. You don't have to struggle for faith or to believe God for anything when you truly heard his voice. And what I mean there is the rhema word of God spoken to you. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, the revelation of God. Our faith is not by sustained by having heard. Our faith is born and sustained by hearing. Present continuous tense. That's what Jesus said. I only do what I hear and see my father doing. Present continuous tense. We're going to look at that also a little bit later on. So there's this picture that Paul's writing about that says there's so much on the heart of God. He, and he, he has given us his spirit. Why? Because he wants us to know what is on his heart and he wants us to capture and, 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 and exemplify his heart. A little bit, also, a little bit later in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul is talking about this intimacy that, that of knowing God's heart that leads to transformation. He says, but we all with unveiled face, in other words, nothing between us and God, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of God are being transformed into the same image 
from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So there's this idea that God wants us to gaze up into his presence and that being with him, hearing his word, has a way of supernaturally transforming us, of bringing light, of bringing revelation to the way we think, to the way we perceive the world around us. So often, if you understand just on a very, as a very simple example, the arguments that we have sometimes with people or even together as, as, as couples, whatever it may be, are so often born not of the actual issue, but of perceptions. So often the way we view ourselves and the way we view life around us, we're defeated not because of what's truly going on, but we're defeated because of our perception of what is truly going on. And when God gets hold of our hearts and we get hold of his revelation, our perception changes, our demeanor changes, our attitude changes, and we come from darkness into light, from defeat into victory, from bondage into liberty. That is the glorious inheritance of every one of God's children. That is what God wants to lead us into and draw us into. Why is it, folks, that God has given us his word? Why do we have this as the Bible? Why is it that he began to speak to people from the beginning and give his word? Why? It's because he wants us to know him. Why did God create man in the beginning? For intimacy. Intimacy is not just I know you. Intimacy is, I am known by you. It's very different to look at somebody's Facebook profile and say, okay, you've been on holiday, you've got this degree, you've got this. I can know a lot about some of you without truly knowing you. I can know a lot about you without you truly knowing me. And this is the travesty that God is not wanting us to just know a lot about him. He's wanting us to truly know him why because he wants us to be like him we were created to be like him in his own likeness in his own similarity that we would be similar to him in heart and in conviction and this is where this takes place it's in the place of prayer and you see we need the word of god we need to know what he is like, but we really need to allow his word to do a work in us. I, I heard a beautiful analogy this week that I've never heard before that I hope to demonstrate to you with some of my children's toys. So this here is a microscope. You can put the little light on and you put a slide in there and you look through there and it's designed to magnify whatever is in the slide so that you can see it in greater detail. And I said to my kids, have you got any leather Lego people and a little book in Lego? Um, you know, I need the Bible. And she said, oh, Leah said, yes. So she went to go get a little book. There it is. It's got a spook on it. That's the Holy Ghost because this is a Bible, you see. And we, what we normally do is we go and put the Bible under the microscope because we want to study the Bible and ask for a leather man, Lego, Lego man. And, well, I've got a Lego girl. I suppose these are the times that we are living in. And uh, I wonder if she has a black one. Anyway, we, uh, we tend to look through the microscope at the word of God and we want to study the word of God and we and that's good. But understanding and knowing about the word of God doesn't change our lives. Understanding the etymology of the words and the eschatology of what's going to come and the hermeneutics and the exegesis and all those other funny big words doesn't truly change our lives. Here's the analogy that someone shared with me. What we need to allow ourselves to do is lie down underneath the microscope and allow the word of God to look at us. Allow the word of God to penetrate deep into our hearts, to look at 
everything that we are made of, my feelings, my thoughts, instead of me trying to get hold of and understand the word of God just from a top down point of view, open my heart and allow the word of God to inform my opinion, to inform, inform my thoughts, to really do a work deep down inside of my heart. Where does that happen? Sorry, I've got a puppy here. I can't leave that lying on the floor. Where'd it go? There it is. Sorry. We cannot. Where does that happen? Where does that transformation happen? That trauma transformation happens not just when I sit and I read about the word of God, but when I sit and I talk to God about his word. God, you say this. I don't see that. How does this work, Lord? God, you say that. Is that really true? And you allow, as the word begins to shine on your heart, you allow it to work in you and change your heart. The Bible says that the word of God, it's in 1 Thessalonians, is, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder, spirit and soul. The word of God has the power to come in to our situation, discern our true heart motives, and realign them with God's heart motives. That's what God wants to do. He wants us to be pliable enough to be able to mold and change so that our views become his views. Romans 12, 2, uh, we're familiar with it. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. says this, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. I love that. It doesn't just say what you think, but of how you think. What point are you reasoning from? This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfied and perfect in his eyes. I love that. Folks, to be able to discern God's will is one of the greatest gifts. And, and that's what God wants for us. He wants to reveal himself to us, his love, his, his delight in you. He wants you to know how much he delights in you. He wants you to know what grieves his heart. Not just about what you do, but about what's going on around you. He wants to show us how to share his love and to bring hope and to bring healing to the world around us. Ultimately, he wants to show us how to bear fruit. How to bear fruit. The, the, the evidence of God's life within us is fruit. Fruit of righteousness. Fruit of holiness. John 5, 19 to 20 uh, from the New Living Translation, the first part of 20 says, So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. This is Jesus saying that. He does only what he sees the Father doing, and whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You see, we're talking about a vital relationship here where Jesus says, I'm not going to do anything that I haven't received from the Father or seen him do. There's there's an understanding and a revelation in his heart that as I see God and as I open my heart to him and allow him to show me, that which he shows me has his life in it. That which he shows me has his power in it and it produces fruit and has results. I can of myself not produce these results. I can't heal people and, and do all of this stuff. But the Father and the Holy Spirit that is upon me, as we work together, so this happens. And that's what Jesus has brought us into, this place of, of open communication with God where we can hear his voice and in so doing, produce fruit. And then he says this, for the father loves the son 
and shows him everything he is doing. Are you the daughter of God? Are you the son of God? Well, God loves you and he wants to show you everything he is doing. I don't know what better invitation we need. Think about that. Let that ponder on your heart. You know, maybe you need to write that on your fridge or put it on your mirror somewhere and say, God loves me and wants to show me everything he is doing. God is up to something. He's up to something in your life. He's up to something in your situation. He's up to something in your community and the world. And he wants to show you what he is doing because he wants you to be a part of it for two reasons. Number one, he needs you because you're a part of the change that's going to happen within the world. You are a part of bringing the kingdom of God into the earth, but also because he wants to have you have eternal fruit. You see, as we hear God, as we hear what he's up to and we cooperate with him, we establish for ourselves fruit that will echo into eternity way beyond our time here on earth. This is what prayer is all about. So many of the Apostle Paul's prayers revolve around praying that the people of God would have a revelation of his love, would know what is on God's heart and mind towards them. Because we cannot live the Christian life of victory over sin and the world without him. We just can't. As well-intentioned as we may be, we cannot walk in victory. We cannot walk out and live out our salvation without him. John 15, 5. Jesus again, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says that I can do nothing without the Father. And likewise, you can do nothing without me. Through Christ, God has brought us into a beautiful and vital. The word vital is, is a word means that there's life in it. There's a life in it. There's a life in our relationship with God. If there's not life in your relationship with God, my friend, there's something wrong. It's not an unsolvable situation, but don't stay where you are. Don't just accept it as okay. It's not okay because God didn't come to give you hollow religion that is dead. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. This life flows through intimate relationship with God, which is nurtured, cultivated, and conveyed in the arena of prayer. So God brought us into this beautiful and vital relationship. And what he has done is he has grafted us into his life. Now, this word grafted is quite an important word. I want to read you a, a, a definition of what grafting is. Grafting is a horticultural technique. Horticultural means it has to do with plants, whereby tissues of plants are joined so as to continue their growth together. Uh, living in the in the part of the world that we do here in the Cape, we have a good we should have a good idea of what grafting is all about because they graft vines. They graft them so that different cultivars can be developed. They graft them for fruitfulness. It goes the definition goes on to say in stem grafting, a shoot of a selected desired plant cultivar is grafted into the stock of another type. In another common form called bud grafting, the dormant side bud is grafted into the stem of another stock plant. And when the vascular tissues grow together, its growth is encouraged by pruning off the stem of the stock plant just uh, above the newly grafted bud. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, let me demonstrate it this way. If this is a vine, for example, or a stock plant, and I have a bud, in other words, there's another vine which has a bud on it, but it's dormant, it's not growing. I can cut out that bud. I can cut a groove into this vine, 
insert that bud there and strap it up so that the vital parts are connected and they can flow. This blood, this bud, which was dormant, now receives life from this new vine and begins to grow and begin to sprout. Folks, that's exactly what happened to you and I. We were taken out of this world which was dead and we were grafted into the vine. Grafted into the vine. We need to understand our connectedness to the vine that we weren't part of that vine from the beginning. We were grafted into it. And that brings a whole new light to John chapter 15, which I want to read to you today. And if you have a digital version of the Bible, I want you to read it from the Passion Translation. We're all familiar with it. It's, it's, it's one of the scriptures I've probably preached on more than any other because it is so fundamental to the Christian life, talking about the vine. I really like the Passion Translation. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about today. John 15 verses 1 to 8 says this. I am a true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. So let's just understand what it's saying here. Lifting up and propping the fruitless branches really means God lifts them up to himself. In other words, he calls them to deeper intimacy. He lifts them off the ground where they're wallowing and he sets them on the trellis again. The, and, and then he says, and the fruitless branches, he, 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 sorry, and fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. So if you, if you consider the vine, just in terms of, of um, horticulture again, when that bud has been grafted into the vine there and they've sealed it up and it begins to grow, they prune the vine here so that that branch gets all the nutrients and the good stuff so that it grows. So what that really is saying, it's taking away that which you don't want to grow anymore, no longer feeding that so that the, we can focus on and all the energy goes to this part so that this part of your life begins to grow and sprout and produce fruit. Verse three, Jesus says, the words that I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. Another word therefore cleansed is the word pruned. You see, the, the words of Jesus, as the disciples had received them, had received his heart, had received his mind, had already had a significant impact on their lives. They were already bearing fruit in their personal faith and the way that they were thinking and the way that they were living and operating. There was already a transformation. Jesus saying, we've already cut off that old way of thinking in you. And this new way is already bearing. I see the fruit. I see the life of it working in you. Verse four. So you must remain in life union with me in other words you must remain grafted into me for i remain in life union with you for as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine i am the sprouting vine you are my branches as you live in union with me as your source fruitfulness will stream from within you but when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. Why? Because they're dry. They're disconnected. There's no life in them. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, think of the context of everything we've been saying this morning of God wanting to reveal himself to us of giving us his word so that we can truly know him and Jesus says if you abide if you live in life union with me and my words my will my heart 
live powerfully within you, you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. Wow, what a promise. What an amazing expectation Jesus gives to his disciples. When he says my words, the word he uses there is the word rhema. It's not just the words in the Bible or words in a book. It's the word of God spoken to your heart that brings about revelation and faith. And when it says to live powerfully, it means to take hold of that his word is strong within you. It means that it has a powerful influence on your heart. In other words, the graft is successful and his life, his word, his sap is now flowing in and through your heart. Verse eight, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my father. What does the word mature mean in this context? It means that somebody who has come, come to age, who, who is not lacking anything, who is whole, who is strong. In other words, you resemble me. You are my mature disciple when you think like I think, when you do what I would do, when you carry my heart and you have my attitude. The life of peace that has been grafted into you is growing and that leads to fruitfulness. And the amazing thing is that that is what brings glory to the Father, that there is fruitfulness. Folks, God's desire is that his life is grafted, or our lives are grafted into his life so that we can bear abundant fruit. Apart from that, we cannot. Finally, John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. See, the, the, there's that promise again. There's that incredible promise again that the life and the word of God within us produces fruit. That fruit is twofold. Number one, that fruit is in a personal heart transformation where we take on the heart of God so that our prayers begin to change, that our prayers begin to be his prayers so that that produces the second kind of fruit in answered prayer. God desires for you to bear fruit in your prayer life that the fruit would be a changed heart and mind, but also that it becomes that you pray his prayers because his prayers always get answered. His prayers are, are from his heart. They've got his life and his power in them already. It means that we pray when we have caught the heart of God, we've prayed the heart of God, and have seen the heart of God manifested in and through our lives. I want to confess to you that the times of greatest frustration in my personal prayer life is when I've been praying my own will or praying from my own reasoning, trying to get God to do something, trying to get God to understand the seriousness of the situation, trying to get God to understand why I am so frustrated. It just leads to more frustration. You see, God doesn't respond to that, for there is no life or power in it. Get that. God does not respond to prayers that I pray from my mind, prayers that I pray from my frustration, prayers that I pray from. God doesn't respond to that. It, ha it has no power in it. Apart from God and his word, I can do nothing. My prayers, my mind, my effort are powerless. But God responds when our hearts pray his word and his will with full trust and assurance because we've received it directly from him. When his spirit breathes on us, and we begin to pray in line with what he is emphasizing. Boy, there is power there. He says, when from that place 
of abiding from that place of catching my heart. You can ask whatever you wish and God will give it to you. This is the will, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, in my stead, with my heart, he will give you. What an assurance. Why is it that Jesus walked with such confidence? Because he knew that whatever he asked, God was going to do for him because his heart was so caught up with God and he didn't do anything that the Father didn't do. And he didn't say anything that the Father didn't say. It's incredible. What an incredible revelation. God responds when our hearts pray his life, his prayer, because he longs to reveal that to us because he wants to see that come to fruition in our lives. Folks, I hope that's given you a taste of what God wants to do in your life. Prayer should be this incredible journey where we come to him and say, Father, speak. And we read his word with an open heart until his spirit, his spirit breathes on it. And our lives are transformed and we begin, to be, we begin to pray from that place. As we talk about prayer, I pray that that has been an encouragement to you. I pray that that has put you in a place of great expectation when you come to God. Don't settle for just random prayers. God wants to reveal his heart to you. God wants to pour his love upon you. Give yourself the time to shut yourself away. Shut out everything else and say, God, I'm here for you to love on me. What is on your heart today? What he shares will change your life. Amen. This is not something that a pastor can do for you. This is not something I can do for you, folks. This is something only you can do. With that, talking about grafting, talking about this life of intimacy, I'm going to hand over to Craig for a little bit, who is going to share with us some. Well, before we jump into communion, Craig, let me just pray over this word. Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this incredible invitation that you give us. You have created us for intimacy. And although we have strayed from you, your invitation is for us to come home to the Father's heart. You long to reveal your heart to us, Father God. I pray that this revelation will settle down deep within our hearts. That when we come to the place of prayer, we don't come trying to convince you or beg you or plead you to do something or to reveal your heart to us. Lord, you're already there. And all you want for us to do is orientate our hearts to you with expectation that you will speak. Lord, you love to share your love with us. You love to pour out your affection upon us. And you love to reveal your heart to us. Lord, your revelation of who you are, your heart is the only thing that can change our lives. Your power and your will are the only things that can change our circumstances in this world from its pain from its hopelessness, from its frustration. And Lord, I want to pray today that you would teach us, blessed Holy Spirit, how to abide in the love of the Father, how to abide in that place, that grafted place where your life and your love flow to and through us every moment of every day. Holy Spirit, would you teach us how to wait upon the Father? Would you, I pray, illuminate our minds that we may understand, that we may have eyes to see, ears that hear, and a heart that embraces the will and the word of God. Lord God, I pray, reveal your love to every one of the members of this spiritual family. Take us, Father God, to new heights and new realms in the spirit as you reveal yourself to us, that we may be those who bear fruit to the glory of the Father, that we may pray, Lord God, prayers that are not birthed from our own insecurities or fears, but that we may pray prayers, Father God, that are birthed from your very heart, 
and carry your life and power within them. Lord, do a transformational work, I pray, in every one of our prayer lives. Breathe on our hearts that we may find vitality and life in our communion with you in greater measure than we've ever had before. I know that is on your heart, and so I pray for that with full assurance and gratitude, Lord God. Thank you that your spirit is on the move. Thank you that you are doing a mighty work in our hearts. We yield to you, blessed spirit. We yield to you, heavenly father. We yield to you, Lord Jesus, and say, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.